Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart. And joining me is Mr. Hal Walker. He is the man who fired the first laser to the moon. This was back in 1969, I believe, for Apollo 11. But what Mr. Walker did was provide all of the Google stuff and all of the maps that we see today. It's because of Mr. Walker. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. How are you? Well, thank you, Tanya. I'm so happy to be with you, too. This is a wonderful day and a great day to have this conversation. Oh, every day is a good day to have a conversation with you, Mr. Walker. I had the pleasure of of actually meeting you in person the other night at one of our uh, Caucus for Producers television, Caucus for Producers, Writers and Directors uh, at one of our Masters events. So I was so glad to meet you and your lovely wife there. But tell me a little bit about, you know, all of a sudden there's like a movie out now. There have been a couple of movies out about the Apollo 11 and all of these space missions. How did you get involved in all of that? Well, Tanya, it began in in my career in uh, in the early 1960s. Uh, I was a member of the RCA Corporation team that built the the ballistic missile early warning system in the Alaskan frontiers. Uh, back wow. in the late 50s and early 60s. And of course, uh, when I left that work there, I came back to the U.S. And of course, the laser had been invented around uh, 1960. And I happened to be looking through the paper one day and I see, oh my goodness, there's a corporation in Santa Monica named Corad Lasers. I think I'll go over and talk to them and ask them, how can I work there? So I right. did. And, uh, of course, they were quite pleased to know that I had come from the the uh, radar uh, background, so they were using a lot of high-voltage technology, but it all sort of fitted in. So, of course, I hired, hired in there and became one of their engineers working in the lab and, of course, got involved with laser development programs. And later, uh, we were asked to uh, by NASA to build some the equipment that would be used on the Apollo 11 mission, so we built three lasers that were used uh, in both here, two here in the country and one in Hawaii for the laser ranging experiments, and I directed some of that work. No kidding. So now, you know, people don't understand. This was a long time ago. I mean, you're talking 1960. So, you know, all of the technology that we have today that people think is so new really isn't, is it? I mean, you know, you think about all the Google Maps and all of that. That's a direct result of the laser, isn't it? Well, of course, we, we, we were pioneers, they use those words, <laughs> pioneers, but we pioneered a lot of that early development work with lasers and electro-optical systems as part of the evolution of uh, technology that had come out of, out of World War II, when we think of it as a generational thing. So, of course, we felt that very uh, dedicated to make these next generation of things work for us, both scientifically and for our industries. So lasers started out as sort of a, a solution that uh, needed to find a problem. I think that's how Ted Maimon, the inventor, <laughs> called it. I'll say that again because yes. a lot of folks have heard it. Right. The laser was a, a solution looking for a problem. So, of course, huh. the first problem in our case with the Apollo 11 mission is we used it to range to the moon, something that had never been done before to the accuracy that we were going to do it. So, of course, that was a big challenge for us, but we were able to get that done for Lick Observatory here in California outside of San Jose. Wow. 
Unbelievable. Now, you know, we've all seen the movie about the hidden figures, all of the women. We discovered another hidden figure who passed away last week, I believe. Um, her name was uh, Ms. Ms. Montague, who was involved in putting computers um, on ships. The first woman to do it happened to be an African-American woman. But, you know, so many of our folks have been involved in technology and all of the STEM stuff, stuff that most people don't even think about. Why mm. is that? And you're one of those hidden figures, too. Well, I, I, was, I had the fortunate uh, uh, experience, I'll call it, that once I completed the laser ranging experiment, I went on to do other things involved in electro-optics and technology and so forth that uh, working with NASA and also with Hughes Aircraft Company. But I always found found a uh, little bit of a, a hesitation to push us to the front in technology in my experience because folks didn't think we would be accepted as African-Americans. There was sort of like a, a stigma that if you were brought forth as this person of technical skills, there was a little stigma involved in that, that they'd rather put a white man there. It just seemed to make it. But you could stand beside him if that was going to be necessary to just make your presence known. But, uh, yeah, huh. And did they all, Mr. I have to not to interrupt you, Mr. Walker, but did they try to take credit for your work? Uh, I think when when we say it that way, I thought they they left. It was they thought it was better if I wasn't mentioned, <laughs> but they didn't exactly <laughs> take the credit for what I did because they didn't do what I did. If I make that make sense, <laughs> it does. Great. <laughs> yeah. So that all that led to a great story I'm going to tell you about. Uh, so back in 1969, after the successful ranging experiment was completed, uh, my name was not mentioned in the scientific journals that reported the work. So, of course, I inquired and was told uh, quite uh, frankly that there just wasn't enough room. But, however, thanks a lot for your work. So I thanked them and went about my merry way. That's how it was in 1969. But yep. in 19, uh, 80, 1994... I happen to have had the opportunity to be standing in the Dallas uh, airport uh, with my wife, Betty, as you met, and some of our students from our A-Man STEM program, and a gentleman walks over and introduces himself and says, by the way, are your children here from a local military academy or a school here? I said, oh, no, sir, we're from Compton. He goes, oh, my goodness, and sort of walks away. Uh-huh. So I <laughs> Later, we're sitting on the plane coming to L.A., and there he is across the aisle from me. So we started jokingly talking about the experience we just had. So he said, well, by the way, what do you do? I said, well, I'm retired now from the uh, laser industry here and uh, worked in it some 30-plus years. He says, oh, my goodness, you probably know somebody we're looking for. Hang on now, Tanya, look out. Then I okay. said... Oh, of course, I probably, that's been a number of years. He goes, we're looking for the person that fired the laser to the moon and the Apollo 11 landing. I said, you are looking at him. And my goodness, it turns out this was the curator of the Museum of American History. And the plane went wild. You couldn't have had a, <laughs> you couldn't wow. have had an experience like this today without trouble. But the good news is, is we were put together, they call it serendipity. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like that. But anyway, Some, the outcome of that was is that 
Uh, Dr. Molella put me in the exhibit in the Museum of American History for over 25 years as the first Smithsonian. Uh, that wow. uh, gave me the credit for firing the lasers during the Apollo 11 landing. What a so great we story. We're going to... Oh, what a great story. I just want our listeners to know that uh, this is American Urban Radio Networks and Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. We're talking to the legendary Mr. Hal Walker today. (laughs) He fired that first laser to the moon. And, you know, Mr. Walker, I have to, before we close, I know you and your wife are on your way, Dr. Betty, are on your way to South Africa. Tell me a little bit about that because you're doing some technology stuff uh, in South Africa. Yes, we're members of the National Space Society, a long-time organization at Space Advocates here in the U.S. And last year, we charted a chapter in the in the first chapter on the continent of Africa in the city of Cape Town. And we'll be traveling there the next few weeks to set that chapter up and get it operational. But one of the very important things that we were able to get done is we brought some of our students from that chapter over to uh, the International Space Development Conference held here in L.A. this past May. And one of the things that they demonstrated was an ion propulsion engine, which is quite revolutionary today. So we're going to be going back, uh, working with them to take that uh, technology to the next level because we'd like, again, to compete that in some of the global projects that are going on developing ion engines. Right. Now, what does an ion engine do, just for our audience who's well, not, an, an <laughs> like an me, who do, we don't know all the technical stuff? Uh, no. Well, an ion engine, we're mostly familiar with rocket engines that use chemical fuel. Yes. An ion engine uses electricity. So we're going to be using electricity to generate power. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds not too revolutionary, but I guess depending well, on where you are in the world, huh? Well, it's revolutionary from this point of view. One of the most uh, predominant elements in the in space is hydrogen, and of course it uses electrification in, a, in, a, in an interaction with hydrogen that creates the propulsion force. So it's a new wow. technology, and it's under development right now also on the ISS, the International Space Station. So we feel really thrilled that we have some high school students that are able to work with this sort of stuff. From wow, South Africa, I am... Yes. Isn't that something? Well, hopefully you'll get some students here in America once you get that program going. I know that that's something that Nelson Mandela had really wanted. He has a lot of STEM programs under the auspices of the Nelson Mandela Foundation, I believe, uh, in South Africa. Yeah, so good for you. One of the the things I can tell you is that uh, we met President Mandela in, in 1997, at his office there in, in uh, Johannesburg. And uh, he asked us to uh, work in South Africa as part of a promise we made to him to further the development of educational programs and using advanced STEM methods. So he, he knew about us and actually worked with us and had conversations with us. And our students wow. were there with us and he enjoyed meeting them from Amen. So we had a good time with President Mandela. Oh, I love it. Well, listen, I hope you have the most wonderful time while you're there. What advice would you give to a lot of young people who, you know, really are kind of embarrassed about being as smart as they are or or may not even be or or may think that they're not smart enough to get into this? What would you say to them? Well, I use two thoughts with with our students. One, don't be afraid to be great. (laughs) And two, your attitude is your altitude. 
Well, I love that. And nothing else needs to be said. And you know about altitude because, boy, have you taken us to some higher heights. We thank you for the service exactly. that you've done. Well, I'm looking for forward to that trip for you and your wife, Betty, in South Africa. And uh, take some great photos and send them back to us so we can post them and keep up with you well, over there. Well, well, thank you so much. And we're going to do that. Okay. You're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. And don't forget to subscribe to Hollywood Live Extra on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Make sure you download all of these because you don't want to miss any of them. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. Again, I'm Tanya Hart. This is AURN.com. Hollywood Live Extra, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.